Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Marking the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, President Biden and G7 leaders roll out new sanctions and a renewed vow. And the U.S. announces a fresh wave of aid. The Chinese Communist Party is calling for an end to the war in Ukraine, but U.S. officials say China's proposal favors Russia. Just ahead of sunrise, a line of illegal immigrants along the border wall in Yuma, Arizona, waits to be processed by Border Patrol. What they tell us about why they chose to come illegally. A federal judge forced a Georgia school district to settle a case filed by moms who complained about sexually explicit content in library books. What the school board had to pay and why. And Pfizer moves to dismiss a whistleblower's case as the government declines to back her. We'll bring you what her attorney has to say. The White House announces new sanctions on the anniversary of Russia's invasion. And world leaders renew their vow to support Ukraine. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. Marking the one-year anniversary of the war, President Biden and leaders of the G7 countries vow to back Ukraine for as long as it takes. In a joint statement on Friday, the leaders say their solidarity will never waver in standing with Ukraine, adding that Russia's attacks over the last 365 days have laid bare the cruelty of the ongoing aggression. And the U.S. Defense Secretary adds... And you can expect that the international community will be with Ukraine uh, once the fighting stops. The Defense Department on Friday announced a fresh $2 billion aid package for Ukraine. That includes more rounds for rocket launchers and more artillery ammunition. And the White House adds... Secondly, the United States has begun now dispersing almost $10 billion in grant financing to help Ukraine meet the critical needs of its citizens. Meanwhile, a Fox News poll shows the American public is divided over how much longer the U.S. should support Kyiv with weapons and funding. 50% say it should be as long as it takes to win, while 46% say it should be for a time limited. All this as the U.S. announced a new round of sanctions targeting Russian and Chinese companies. The White House says they're supporting the Russian military and sustaining its war machine. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. According to the White House, the latest sanctions target a total of over 200 individuals, entities, including both Russian and third country actors across Europe, Asia and the Middle East that are supporting Russia's war effort. And the European Union also approved a tenth package of Russia sanctions after hectic last-minute haggling. The package includes tighter export restrictions for dual-use goods and measures against entities supporting the war, spreading propaganda or delivering drones used by Russia. And earlier this evening, President Biden was asked if he's worried China will side with Russia in the war. He told reporters, quote, there's no evidence of that so far. And China is proposing an end to the war in Ukraine. Western officials are skeptical of the proposal, but China says they are committed to peace talks. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. On Friday, the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, released a 12-point plan for peace in the war in Ukraine. Some of the bullet points include items such as respecting the sovereignty of all countries, ceasing hostilities, resuming peace talks, and resolving the humanitarian crisis. The CCP's proposal came just days after the top Chinese diplomat Wang Yi met with Russian President Putin. 
At first glance, China's proposal for peace could appear to be somewhat neutral, but Western officials rejected the proposal, saying it would benefit Russia. On Friday, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was asked what he thought about the CCP's peace proposal on CNN. Well, my first reaction to it is that it could stop at point one, which is respect the sovereignty of all nations. That's the first point in the 12-point plan. Ukraine wasn't attacking Russia. NATO wasn't attacking Russia. The United States wasn't attacking Russia. This was a war of choice by Putin waged upon Ukraine, and it could end if he simply left Ukraine. And the CCP's plan for a ceasefire would leave Russian troops in place on Ukrainian territory. Ukraine says the only way they would agree to a ceasefire is if it involved Russia withdrawing its troops. And at the United Nations, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the U.S. is prepared to engage in any meaningful diplomatic effort to stop Russia's aggression against Ukraine. But history teaches us that it's the nature of peace that matters. For peace to be durable, it must ensure that Russia can't simply rest, rearm, and relaunch the war in a few months or a few years. Any peace that legitimizes Russia's seizure of land by force will weaken the charter and send a message to would-be aggressors everywhere that they can invade countries and get away with it. Some have also doubted that China could be neutral because CCP leader Xi Jinping hasn't spoken to Ukrainian President Zelensky since the war began. Then on Friday, Zelensky said this. I intend to meet with Xi Jinping. I think it will benefit our countries and security in the world. As far as I know, China has historically respected territorial integrity, and so it should do everything so that the Russian Federation leaves our territory. Russia said it appreciated China's plan and that it was open to achieving its goals through political and diplomatic means. Jason Perry, NTD News. First Lady Jill Biden reveals whether the president will be running for another term in 2024. She said in an interview with the Associated Press that President Biden plans to run again. Well, he's, he says he's not done. He's not finished what he started. And that's what's important. And I think, uh, look at all that Joe has, has done, has accomplished. The First Lady said there's pretty much nothing left to do but choose the time and place for Biden's re-election announcement. The president has long said it's his intention to seek re-election, but he has yet to make it official. Biden aides have said an announcement is likely to come in April after the first fundraising quarter ends. Biden has faced questions about whether he's too old to continue serving as president. He would be 86 at the end of a second term. And a Georgia mom is celebrating after settling with the Forsyth County School District. She sued the district after they banned her from speaking at school board meetings. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story and a warning. The following story contains mature content that may be inappropriate for younger audiences. Gratitude for help that we have had through the Institute for, for, Institute for Free Speech. Um, Dell, our attorney, has just been amazing. Georgia mom Allison Hare is grateful for a recent victory after she filed a lawsuit against Forsyth County School District. The district banned her from attending school board meetings after she did this. We pushed back together, feeling the warmth and silk of each other's skin. Our breaths are coming faster and harder. My mouth circles the soft skin of my breasts and I cry, arching up into her. Don't even. In this March 2022 video of a Forsyth County school board meeting, 
the board stopped Hare from continuing to read sexually explicit content contained in a book she says is available in the school's library. Hare said before this meeting she had given the board several different options to resolve it, such as allowing parents to review the books before their children read them. She said two weeks later the chairman of the board sent her a letter telling her to apologize. They told me that until I apologized to him directly in writing, I was not allowed to any meeting of the school board. Now here's why this is also significant. We live in a county where there's a lot of issues going on with our taxes. There was ultimately a tax meeting in the summer I could not go to because they're held by the school board meeting. Hare's attorney said under the First Amendment, the district doesn't have a right to force anyone to speak respectfully to the board. Now, you know, everybody gets to decide how they want to craft their own message. But the important thing is Americans don't have to be nice when they talk to government officials if they don't want to be. Under the First Amendment, in fact, that is one of the reasons for the First Amendment is so that Americans can be free to criticize government officials. He said this isn't a new concept because it's been around for hundreds of years. He explained that the case isn't about banning books from libraries. But it's really about any parent's right and ability to be able to go in and speak at a school board meeting. In responses to media outlets, the school district said they've moved forward from this issue and that the payment for the legal fees was handled by their insurance company. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Turning now to the border crisis, there have been more than 91,000 encounters at a single sector of the border since last October. The Border Patrol in Yuma, Arizona processes around 400 to 600 illegal immigrants each day. Lawmakers on the House Judiciary Committee traveled to the border city this week for an on-site hearing. NTD is on the ground in Yuma to examine the current situation at the border. Here's a look. Just ahead of sunrise, a line of illegal migrants wait along the border wall in Yuma, Arizona. One man saying he decided to cross illegally. Because this is the only way right now. We cannot come in legally. Their goal, to be processed by Border Patrol and make it into the interior of the country. This area will be anywhere from four to 650 a day right now with the current numbers. Where are they coming from and why are they here? Georgia, yes. China. He says he's from Peru. Um, he also says that it took him five days. For some, it took longer. A few people from China say it took them 46 days. The Chinese nationals tell NTD they are fleeing the Chinese Communist Party's repressive ideology. Faith, freedom, freedom of speech. We have no rights at all. The CCP to people is a kind of cruelty. She decided to come to America three years ago after the start of the pandemic. The lack of medical resources during the pandemic reminded her of when she was a victim of China's one-child policy 20 years ago. I lost two of my babies. One was eight months old and the other was 23 days old. No medicine. There's been a spike in the number of Chinese people crossing illegally, a 719% increase year over year. Lawmakers on the House Judiciary Committee held a hearing in the border city this week. They met with local officials and toured the border, where many gaps remain along the border wall. This is where the wall ends. DHS says that will fill in gaps. Construction is expected to be completed this summer. 
Congressman Matt Gaze, who is pushing to impeach DSA Secretary Mayorkas, accuses the administration of not having the will to secure the border. And that puts the needs of our citizens behind the ambitions, financially and otherwise, of criminal gangs, thugs and cartels. Republicans also say the fentanyl crisis is a result of the open border. And once again, what is it? Quadrupled the amount of fentanyl that's coming into America in the last couple years. There's a direct correlation to opening the border and the fentanyl coming in. No Democrats in the Judiciary Committee attended the field hearing, calling it nothing more than a political stunt. Democrats say they plan to take their own trip to the border next month. Reporting in Yuma, Arizona, Jackie Rios, NTD News. More studies are coming out on the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine. According to a new study from CDC researchers, natural immunity offers better protection than vaccines. The study found that post-infection immunity provided 76% protection against COVID-19-associated hospitalizations. A primary series of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine in people without a prior infection provided just 39% protection. The study also found that natural immunity lasted longer at higher levels than the vaccines. The study was conducted while Omicron was the do dominant virus strain in the country. The paper was published ahead of peer review by the Journal of Infectious Diseases. It was funded by the CDC. This study confirms previous research on natural immunity versus the vaccine. A CDC study previously found that natural immunity was superior to vaccination, while Delta was the dominant strain. And we turn now to the case of Brooke Jackson, who worked on clinical trials for 18 years. And after 18 days working with a company contracted to Pfizer doing COVID vaccine trials, she was fired the same day she told the FDA about issues she had observed in that trial. The U.S. government has declined to side with her in this case. The judge is currently considering Pfizer and its contractors' request for a motion to dismiss, and a hearing is scheduled for next week. The discovery process for each side to get more information to build their case is paused till then. Earlier today, I spoke with Warner Mendenhall, one of the attorneys representing Jackson in this case, to learn more about it. Warner Mendenhall, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, for those not familiar with this case, can you please tell us about it and its significance? Yeah, Brooke Jackson was a clinical trial site manager for Ventavia Pharmaceuticals, which is a subcontractor for Pfizer. And what's happened in recent years is the big pharma companies subcontract with these companies to run all of their clinical trials. And what Brooke found, she was only on the job for about 18 days. And what she found as soon as she arrived were a number of major violations, uh, including informed consent, unblinding, improper uh, paperwork, uh, including improper handling of needles and uh, pharmaceutical equipment and supplies. So there was just all kinds of things going on there. And un unblinding is simply this. You're supposed to have uh, one part of your trial participants get a placebo, the other part of your trial uh, participants get the actual shot, and you're not supposed to know who those are so that you can have an objective analysis of what the outcome was. In this case, with this company, the, there, it was completely unblinded. The researchers knew exactly who was getting the experimental shot. The other thing that's important here is that there was not 
true informed consent given to the participants in the study. Uh, they did not disclose to them uh, all of the dangers that were involved with this. And in fact, some of the participants didn't even, not even sign off on the informed consent paperwork. All these are huge violations. And it should make the data that came out of that trial site and with his contractor not valid. And if that data were not valid, then they don't actually have enough data to even get these shots approved in the first place. You all said that in one filing that the government filing actually supports your case. Could you talk about that? Yeah, it, in, it, it supports our case in one of the theories of our case, which is called fraudulent inducement. And we think that basically Pfizer induced the FDA to give it approvals for the emergency use authorization based on fraud. That's an allegation in the complaint. The government doesn't deny that that is a possibility, even though the government seems to have joined Pfizer uh, in uh, supporting a motion to dismiss. So we are happy that the government actually supported our theory of the case, because we do think that's what happened. And if we get past the motion to dismiss, we get Pfizer's internal documents, and we can really dig into what happened to these 44,000 trial participants that they had. And what would be the significance of that, do you think? Well, I, I, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to dig in there and we're going to find that many, many other trial sites uh, were actually being run in a manner that is not appropriate for getting good data. And if they don't have good data, then that emergency use authorization is then pulled back by the FDA. They don't have enough data to support it. And if that happens, this whole thing is over. The mandates are over, the shot is over, and I think that would be a very appropriate uh, ending uh, to that. That's the most consequential for you know, the public right now. Additionally, if, if, we are, if it is found that they defrauded the FDA in asking for the emergency use authorization, I think that bankrupts the company. And so its assets will be seized by the American taxpayer and sold off and it will end uh, Pfizer's life as a company. And remember, this is the company that has paid the most fines, criminal and civil fines in history. So I think it's not a bad thing to contemplate the ending of this company's life. Next, your company, Mendenhall Law Group, is co-hosting the COVID litigation conference next month. Could you tell me more about that? Oh yes, we're very happy to be involved with the vaccine uh, Safety Research Foundation, um, and we have a number of great panelists coming uh, down to the conference. Brooke Jackson, uh, my client, will be at the conference, so people can come and meet uh, some of the whistleblowers that are out there. Uh, Bobby Ann Cox from New York, Dr. Robert Malone, um, of course, my co-counsel on this, uh, Robert Barnes will be there, uh, Mary Holland from Children's Health Defense, Jeff Childers from uh, Coffee and COVID, and uh, the great uh, Dr. Corey uh, will be there, and the great Dr. Uh, Cole will be there to talk. And I just heard today that Dr. Paul Merrick will be there. And with the doctors, we're actually looking at their legal problems and their legal issues. So we're focused on uh, problems with board certifications, hospital privileges, licensing issues, those types of things for the doctors. So we're actually looking at what legal troubles they've been having. They have been so great at telling the world about 
how to treat COVID, how to recover from long COVID, how to recover from vaccine injury, but they've been injured in this process themselves with their licenses and certifications. So we hope to have a nice, robust discussion about that. Additionally, uh, employer mandates, education mandates, uh, all of that, the effect on the military, all of that is going to be uh, dealt with, along with the hospital problems, the remdesivir problems at the hospital. So I think it's going to be wonderful. We look forward to meeting everybody down there. Great. Thank you so much, Warner Mendenhall, attorney and owner of the law offices of Warner Mendenhall. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. The COVID litigation conference again is next month, March 25th and 26th, and you can get tickets at vaxsafety.org. That's vacsafety.org. And coming up, a TV news reporter and a nine-year-old girl were killed at a shooting in Florida. A survivor recounts the experience from a hospital bed. And the case of Russian figure skating sensation Kamila Valieva takes an unexpected turn as the country's own doping agency does an apparent 180 on her positive test. That and more coming up. Florida, police are investigating a shooting on Wednesday that left one reporter dead and a young girl as well. A surviving photographer is now speaking out. Spectrum News 13 photographer Jesse Walden was with his journalist colleague Dylan Lyons when a gunman ambushed them on Wednesday in Pine Hills, Florida. They were reporting to the scene of a homicide that happened earlier that day. The photographer spoke to local news outlet KOB4 about what happened. I turn around because I'm like, oh, there must be a drive-by shooting going on. And I uh, see that he's shooting at me. I was trying to figure out if I could kind of play cat and mouse with him and avoid being shot. Walden said he thought the gunman was shooting at something behind him, but the gunman kept shooting at him. The shooting left Lyons and a nine-year-old girl dead. The girl's mother was also shot but survived. Walden was hospitalized with a gunshot wound. Police arrested 19-year-old suspect Keith Moses on Thursday. He's also the suspect in the homicide that Walden and Lyons responded to. Authorities charged him with first-degree murder, and there could be more charges coming. Orange County Sheriff John Mina said the suspect has a lengthy criminal record and characterized the shootings that day as random acts of violence. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And we'll keep you updated on that story. Next, Alec, actor Alec Baldwin has pleaded not guilty to involuntary manslaughter after shooting and killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins while filming in New Mexico. Prosecutors and defense attorneys are preparing for a pretrial. Alec Baldwin has pleaded not guilty to felony charges of involuntary manslaughter in the deadly shooting of a cinematographer on the set of a Western movie. He also waived his first formal court appearance. Baldwin and armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed were charged last month for shooting and killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins. She died shortly after being wounded during rehearsals for the film Rust at a ranch on the outskirts of Santa Fe in October 2021. Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed face up to 18 months in jail and a $5,000 fine under New Mexico law. Baldwin agreed to forego a hearing to have his rights explained to him. On Thursday, a judge set conditions of release that allow Baldwin to have limited contact with potential witnesses in connection with plans to complete the filming. 
Prosecutors and defense attorneys are preparing for a likely preliminary hearing within a few months to determine if there is sufficient evidence to proceed to trial. Other provisions of Baldwin's pre-trial release include a prohibition on consuming alcohol and against any possession of weapons, including firearms. Hutchins' death paused work on Rust. According to Rust Movie Productions, filming will resume this spring without real weapons or ammunition on set. Gutierrez Reed is scheduled to appear remotely at a court hearing Friday. Her attorney says she will enter a plea of not guilty. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. In an apparent about-face, the Russian anti-doping agency, also known as Rusada, has appealed their own decision on figure skating sensation Kamila Velieva. They previously ruled that the skater bore no fault or negligence. Now they join the World Anti-Doping Agency and the International Skating Union, which both appealed the decision to the Court of Arbitration for Sport earlier this week. However, the punishments requested are far apart. While the World Anti-Doping Agency has requested a retroactive four-year ban starting in 2021, which was when the positive test happened and which would strip her of her Olympic gold, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency is instead requesting a reprimand. The International Skating Union, meanwhile, has requested a punishment at the discretion of the court. Velieva became a star at last year's Winter Olympics when she became the first woman to land a quadruple jump at the Games that helped the Russians win gold in the team competition. But it was soon revealed that she had tested positive for a banned substance at the Russian National Championships two months prior. At the time, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, however, allowed Velieva to continue at the Games until the situation was resolved, saying the 15-year-old was a protected person. For her part, Valieva said the positive test was from a mix-up with her grandfather's heart medication. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has eight games planned, including the Atlanta Hawks, who just this week fired head coach Nate McMillan and are reportedly interested in former Utah coach Quinn Snyder. They host the Cleveland Cavs. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has six games on tap, featuring the league's hottest team, the Carolina Hurricanes, who've won four straight in 11 of 12 to take over the division lead. They host the Ottawa Senators. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, all yours. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.